0: The Joan and Bill Hank Center for the Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Loyola University Chicago is proud to support Jesuitical. Hank Center events for this fall include the Poets of Presence Conference, featuring renowned poet Christian Wyman, a dialogue with the Sant'Egidio founder, Dr. Marco Impagliazzo, and their annual Tejard Lecture, given by Father Patty Gilger. For the full lineup and information about upcoming events, please visit www.luc.edu/slash CCIH. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from America Media for saints and sinners you can join us every week for honest conversations about the Catholic Church and our world today. I'm Ash Ope. Often over drinks, I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. You
1: almost have the new tagline down, perfect. so close, so close. <laughs> Forgot it's...
0: the most important part. I know. Part often over
1: drinks. I know. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Uh, I'm thrilled. It's Wednesday, otherwise known as uh, New Bleachers music. Wednesday, yeah, so. I saw
0: that, but I have not had a chance to listen to it. Well, Is it good?
1: Happy, happy release day to all who celebrate. <laughs> um, it's great. Not as great as this episode we have though.
0: Yes, we are talking to Richard Slawzeski. He's the senior vice president for mission at Catholic Charities Brooklyn and Queens. Um, and he is a great guy, he is on the front lines dealing with the surge in migrants coming to New York City, um, being bussed up from the border. It's making headlines, but often lost in these. uh, and What you read in the media is is the individuals that are coming to the city.
1: Yeah, we were tipped off to Richard and his work by a colleague of ours, Delaney Coyne, um, who wrote this great piece called, As New York's Migrant Crisis Makes Headlines, Catholic Charities Gets to Work. So I, I think Catholic Charities does some of the best work in the church, so it's fantastic to have a chance just to sit down with someone like Richard, and hear uh, about the work that Catholic Charities is doing and some of the stories of the people that are coming to New York.
0: Yeah. And then in Signs of the Times, we're going to talk about um, revelations about uh, what Pope Pius XII knew during the Holocaust and uh, Pope Francis's recent conversation with Bill Clinton. Uh, But first, what are we drinking, Zach?
1: So our guest this week, Richard, he suggested um, a dark beer. Um, And we had, I figured Guinness would be This being
0: America, we we had that on hand. We had
1: some Guinness on (laughs) hand. Um, It's out of a bottle, which...
0: And you're just coming back from Ireland, so you're a Guinness snob right now. (laughs) I am, yeah. I
1: even went to the Guinness little museum factory place uh, and got certified on how to pour Guinness. Oh, wow. I did
0: notice you pouring these very carefully.
1: I mean, this doesn't even matter. It's coming out the (laughs) bottle. It's not the same, but it's good enough. So (laughs) cheers.
0: Cheers. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of the show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach?
1: So our first story has to do with what Pope Pius XII knew about Hitler and the Nazis were doing in Germany during World War II.
0: Yeah. Uh, So this letter came to light this week. Um, It's dated December 14th, 1942, Um, and it's from a prominent uh, German Jesuit who was in Germany and part of the Catholic uh, resistance to to the Nazis and Hitler. And he wrote to a close aide of Pope Pius XII, describing the situation specifically in Poland, where the Nazis had invaded and begun their extermination campaign against the Jews. Uh, so he, he let the Pope know, he talked about the Auschwitz death camp and the murder of up to 6,000 Poles and Jews per day in ovens. There's been a long ranging debate about what Pius knew about this. And so this is kind of the First, definitive proof that he, or at least someone very close to him and high up at the Vatican, did know about um, um, the death camps and the murder of Jews.
1: Yeah. So, like you mentioned, it's not confirmed that Pius read this letter, but it, it's, since this is one of his top aides, it, it, one would reason to believe that he did. And, um, and, Pius, as you mentioned, has been a controversial figure um, for Catholics and Jews and for historians. Um, in in 2019, Pope Francis uh, made public uh, this massive amount of documents in the Vatican secret archives related to uh, Pius the papacy. Um, and really, the like, I guess the frame of the debate is that people know that there were a lot of Catholics that did a lot of good, uh, especially trying to help Jews escape and uh, hiding uh, persecution and murder from Hitler, but. Pius also was not very outspoken publicly in condemning Hitler and Germany's actions. Sort of he just alluded vaguely to genocide that was happening. And so people critique him for that, for not being more forcefully against uh, Hitler's regime.
0: Yeah. And then so what defenders of Pius, who actually he was he's on the path to canonization, but it's kind of stalled out as we unearthed these archives and and get a fuller picture of his papacy. But his defenders, you know, note that, well, one, that um, churches in Rome did shelter uh, thousands of Jews. We actually learned recently um, we had a document that confirmed the names of more than 3,000 of the Jews that were saved by being housed in religious houses and churches um, throughout Rome. And presumably that happened if not at Pius's order with with his permission. And then also his defenders note that if the Pope did speak out, it, it's possible that one those Jews that were in the safety of the churches in Rome would be put at, there'd be reprisals, the, the Nazis would go after them, but also just reprisals in general against both Jews and Catholics uh, in occupied territories. And I don't want to draw comparisons between what's happening now and the Holocaust, but Popes generally try to work behind the scenes diplomatically, and sometimes speaking out can jeopardize those efforts.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's right. Um, Popes have been watched sort of for millennia, just looking at, you know, what are their public actions? What are their public words? Um, It's tough, though. I mean, I, I guess most people say, like, if you if you knew about what was happening in the Holocaust, and you didn't say something, that's a pretty basic moral test. And if a position with such moral authority such as the papacy fails that test that it's really a a damning revelation it, it's a damning one for the church it's painful for Jews to hear this week we're we're still learning more and more uh, about what Pius Twelfth knew and what he did. So this is certainly going to be an ongoing story that will continue to follow in America. What's our next story, Ashley?
0: Yeah, so this week, Pope Francis chatted with a fellow world leader, uh, former President Bill Clinton. Um, it was an event put on by the Clinton Global Initiative in New York. So it was a live stream remote conversation. Uh, but they touched on some of the urgent global issues of the day, including climate change, uh, refugees, and, and conflict zones.
1: Yeah, so Pope Francis sort of made sure to bring up um, the need for peace in working together, especially in the face of war that we're seeing. He mentioned you know, the piecemeal World War III that's being fought around the world, um, also alluded to the war in Ukraine. Um, but on the environment specifically, this is, I, I think, where Francis spent the majority of his remarks. He stated that, quote, it's time to work together to stop the ecological catastrophe before it's too late. Um, and he also repeated uh, some news that had been broken over the summer, which is that Pope Francis is planning to publish a new edition of Laudato Si' uh, very soon.
0: Yeah, so Laudato Si', uh, the original one was published in 2015, and it was actually published ahead of big climate meetings, and it was seen as a pretty like influential intervention by the Pope and really putting the Church's uh, stamp on climate change as like an issue that we are called as Catholics to work. To, to solve. Um, and the second one, Laudato Si 2.0, we don't actually know what it's going to be called yet, um, but it's coming out on the feast of St. Francis Assisi, October 4th. So we will certainly bring that news to you when it's out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember I had just started at America Magazine when uh, Laudato Si came out. And so it, it looms very large in in my mind and memory um, as a Catholic journalist. But this really, it made a big splash when it came out. And I, I had never seen any super well-articulated Catholic social teaching on mm-hmm. climate change or caring for the environment. And so Francis is really uh, hoping to develop that even more as the situation has become more and more urgent. So uh, stay tuned. We will bring you news and analysis of that new version of Laudato Si when it comes out.
0: And now stick around for our conversation with Richard Slizeski. Joining us in studio is Richard Slyzeski Richard is the Senior Vice President for Mission at Catholic Charities Brooklyn and Queens. Welcome to Jesuitical, Richard.
1: Hey, thank you so much. It's so good to have you in studio joining us, um, talking about such incredible, important work that uh, Catholic Charities has been doing here in New York. But I-, I guess before we go anywhere else, I think a good place to start um, is, I'm wondering if you could just... Maybe try to tell us a story about um, someone who has migrated and landed in New York. W- what is maybe not a typical story, but maybe a potential story that you've encountered? Okay. How they got yeah. here. Yeah. So I, a lot of these from the, you heard the bus stories,
2: and those are the folks we pretty much see. So we're getting
0: bussed up from Texas. Bussed
2: up from Texas, yeah. So yeah. they
1: land and they go to. Like,
0: well,
2: what this is an interesting thing because. Uh, a lot of things worked out later and they would go to the bus terminal but honestly last summer a bus pulled up right on the corner of Borough Hall in Brooklyn that's about a block away from us and forty people made a line right for my office and that was quite How exciting. did
1: they how did they know to go to your office
2: Well on the pa- on the paperwork that they have they they get this paperwork you know from ICE and it said, you're basically, as far as they understood, your new home is our headquarter offices. Hmm. You'll be Do housed Do you have enough there. rooms for that? <laughs> <laughs> it's an office building. There are no, you know, So, so it was really for them, they came with this high expectation of, we're going to lodge them. We're going to give them jobs. Well, then you find there's, there is a whole lot of obstacles to that. And so breaking down that kind of thing, the process was, first of all, if they, if they haven't checked into the shelter system, you have to explain that to them. Because uh, we don't have shelters. We don't have that kind of resource. So they are going to need to use the city's shelter system. you know. And so it's being able to make sure that they understand that. And the importance of that, because that opens up doors for other services that they can get. You know, they get a little number when they go into the shelter system, which opens up for other possibilities for assistance. And you have to keep going back to that. So... Typically, they're very disoriented. Um, sure. Can we can
0: we back up to, sure. to before they get to New York? A lot of us, when we think about migration, and we think in very large numbers. So the one hundred and ten thousand that have right. come to New York City. Um, and I think it can be helpful to go down to the single one person. So like, sure. what what's a story you can tell for you know where they okay. started, what caused them to leave, and what their journey was like? Okay.
2: Well, I I can think of this one particular woman who came with her two children. Uh, One was six, another was uh, about eight years old. And they came with their mom. They did that, if you've ever seen it, that that journey through the Darien Strait of Panama. But they had come up. That's a a jungle. They they were from (laughs) Venezuela, Mm -hmm. through Venezuela, making their way up, going through the Darien Strait, going up through Mexico. Uh, ultimately getting to the border of the US and then from there, they would get into some of the the shelters that were right there. But then they were being offered this bus, this beautiful white bus that was going to take them north and give them a place to live and, and jobs and everything else that they they wanted. So I can tell you when my experience of her, when she came, to our place. And all of a sudden discover, no, we don't have. But you can see in their face. I saw in her face, you know, this isn't what I thought I was coming to. And, you know, you kind of have to stop. I'm a social worker by training. So y- you do want to kind of stop and say, how are you doing? You know, and let them express themselves. And, and she did cry. And that was because, I think just the general that she was in a space that she could cry is is an important thing. And from there to be able to sit and uh, say, okay, let's let's see what kind of plan we can we can make here. And from there it went for you know, the Department of Ed, getting the kids enrolled at the school, by where the shelter that she was at. There are legal pieces to that. Uh, they have to register their applications. Uh, a lot of them don't know that. In her case, she didn't know that. You know, it's like, okay, so that's one of the first things. I'm going to give you one of these guys. He's going to help you understand what you need to do for the legal piece of that. And then you you have to step back because I realize she's just gotten off this white bus. This is in the earliest days. They hadn't had anything to eat. So then you go and you... Get snacks for the kids, a little juice and a little something. Get them comfortable because I think there it is. I mean, when I'm talking about the steps and where we fit into it, we're not the grand answer to everything, but that people are coming to a place that they're heard and welcomed is very important. The mission is to treat people with from the Catholic social teaching of the human dignity of every person that walks through that door. And so that's very important to me, that she has that space and she feels that dignity. Some are much more tragic. Uh, There were women who we find who were raped along that road. You know, this wasn't this woman's case, but those are very difficult. They're traumatized. The children are traumatized. They saw dead bodies. You know, I, I hate to kind of put it right out there very strongly, but they came through a horrendous amount. And so then you're starting to take a look at, you know, do they need some kind of mental health services? And we have mental health clinics, you know, to help with that. So you're kind of going through all these piece by piece. We're just helping them land. If I'm going to say we're helping them land and not feel like some kind of cattle being
1: shuffled through places. You know, that's that's important for me. The, the story of you know, migrants being bused from a border state and landing in New York or Martha's Vineyard is a big media story, you know, because you some groups of people that were like, well, it's about time the rest of the country is bearing some of the the cost of welcoming migrants um, that the border states have. Other people are saying that it's, it's inhumane to do that, especially if you're deceiving people, like promising them housing and food and jobs and things like that. I'm curious, what's your reaction to I guess your reaction was the bus, like literally showing up on your block, but I don't know if you were paying attention to any of those reactions coming through the media or just in general conversation. You know, I, I, I totally get it. It's a very overwhelming situation
2: and people fear gets right up in their face, right? I, I, I kind of get that. I've worked with migrants most of my adult life, uh, a lot of different situations, uh, things that I can't solve it. One, two, three, and let alone any kind of political and and let me be honest i i'm not i don't take a political view on this, but I do see a human being before me, and that's what we have to deal with is um, policymakers need to to figure out a way that factors in the humanity of the people that we're dealing with that that I feel
0: how is um Catholic charities been able to do that just in terms of their capacity, because it's not like the only thing you guys do is deal no, it's with not migrants. At all. Not um, at all. um so how have you been able to adjust to this recent influx?
2: Well, the Office of Mission really we've responded to wherever the needs are out in the community and whatever they be. Prior to this, we were in the thick of, of COVID. Mm. I mean, we were out in the community seeing thousands line up, usually for food. Uh, basic, basic needs. You know that was a whole other time. Uh, before that, then it was disasters. Uh, you know, it was Hurricane Sandy. We had a little bit of Hurricane Ida in terms of Queens. We dealt a lot with those people in those basement apartments in Queens during Hurricane Ida. You know, you respond to whatever the needs. That's what we're charged with, and and, and so you know that's that's the thing how do we deal with it uh you have to have very flexible job descriptions
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or as needed Do you have to put on that uh, that that job description thing you know at the very end they other said, duties as assigned other duties <laughs> as assigned boy that becomes a big one because sometimes it's like you know uh you know and even myself i if i get back to something for me um because i i run the department but i've I've always felt, you know, I can't ask someone to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So quite often, you know, if it's, if it's hauling out, you know, bags of food and big barrels, I'll do that. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of being it. And, and I think it does help a sense of teamwork. That's what I tried to build with with it is we're in this together and we'll figure it out together. I think what helped me before coming to Catholic Charities, I worked almost 20 years as a social minister in a parish. I was used to shoestring budgets. We never had any money. That was basically the bottom line. You make it work. Uh, usually, it's your human power. That's that's where you've got your... You you get people who sign on with you and say, this is important, and I want to help you do that. And that's what we do.
1: want to get to some of these issues that migrants face when they, they get here. You've alluded to some, um, particularly around housing. As I understand it, there's also this like complicated bureaucracy that they're caught in around being able to even try to work or support themselves. Yeah. Could, you, could you explain a little bit about that? Well, first of all, they need to do their application for asylum.
2: I'm talking about asylum seekers. We could go a lot of different directions, but if I'm looking at that particular group, and just quick, is that where most of like the most most of these most group of the recent asylum asylum seekers? Got it. For this particular group, they need that. Uh, they need to make that application. From the application, when it's accepted, is I believe it's 150 days, something like that. So. You count apply, the number of 150 things. Days, you
1: have to just exist without you working. You have to exist
2: without working. And and so it's a very difficult position, and particularly if you're looking at this mom that I'm talking about with two kids. It, it puts them in a very difficult situation. You've heard people talk about I and I, I won't I promise myself I wouldn't get into policy things because that's not my expert area of expertise, but I, I could certainly say giving a temporary work uh, you know g- work authorization would help a lot of things. but you know what can I say? What, I don't know. what
0: benefits are they eligible for it for that for those months mostly where they around can't work?
2: mostly around the children. okay mostly around the children. so, so food for, stamps. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. so yeah. so basically in New York, a big piece is you still have to have that identification. So going for the New York ID is a very big thing for us, where we live. You know, get that New York ID, which gives you actually that. With, with that, you can go forward, and you can look for the food stamps. You can look for uh, a lot of other things too. You know, that can be of of help to a family. But you're kind of steering them in that direction because there's no reason you can imagine with those kinds of oh, well, I get to New York and I better get myself a New York ID. It's not in their heads. Right. I moved to in New there.
0: York 10 years ago and I still have a Virginia license. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know, so that's it. I mean, you, you help them and guide them in, in ways of, of navigating, really,
1: in a way that's, that's part of what we do. Um, but I, there, it seems, to my understanding, they're, they're faced with this almost impossible choice where you get here and right. your choices are apply for asylum, not be able to work for a long period of time. And then your choices, do I do underground work, yeah. um, off the books work? Um, it, it that puts me at risk for sure deportation, right? Sure. It, but it helps me feed my family Absolutely. or I try to navigate with the, at <laughs> good hearted people like yourself, um, who help me navigate the systems that might give me enough to support my family through this time period. And, you backing up some people might say i'm not going to apply for asylum because i just need to get here and get on the ground and i'm just going to exist in the undocumented category which yeah. and then you know you i don't know you're sort of damned if you do damned if you don't it seems right like, right
2: it's none of those are are easy decisions and they're very real decisions that people have to make along the way i think people need hope in the end we have to have some hope right in terms of this uh one of the things looking at helping people prepare for the workplace, like so we do OSHA trainings. We did, I counted up, about 700 people went through and did OSHA trainings. That approach them with that. That's, a, that's about safety in the workplace and mm-hmm. so forth. Well, when they get ready to work, if you have an OSHA card and you've taken that particular class, that makes you stand out a little bit more than someone who doesn't have that card.
0: And that know. can get you into a construction job. That can and... get
2: you into a construction job. It can get you into just a number of things, basically, even in terms of home care and things. So we even do, and we've even do, done some uh, home care uh, classes. How do we do that? It can only work when I know different people who are in that field who are willing to re- drastically cut the cost, because if I were just me going for an OSHA card certification it would cost about six or seven hundred dollars. I don't have six or seven hundred dollars to to base on 700 figure out the numbers I don't have that kind of money but if I get a class of people you know together and I have some people of very good will who do that kind of who are licensed to do OSHA training and they're willing to basically do it for very little to no cost then we can then we can deal you know and we can get people in line this is one thing i've picked up very strongly in other places but particularly with this population they're here to work you know uh, sometimes you hear that wow well, they're just coming to get on welfare or something like and that has not been my experience of who these folks are these are people who took a lot of risks to get here and they want to succeed and, uh, you know, I would hope that we would find ways and avenues to do that.
0: Speaking of, of giving hope, maybe you could tell a story of someone who's gone through um, the services that you provide and is, you know, on the other side, employed. <laughs> um, well,
2: we're just starting now mm-hmm. to get those people who now can have that work authorization. Mind you, yeah, it, it, it takes a, a long time to get some of these folks. So one of them, actually, he he did, um, I think he was on for America Magazine. He spoke. He was one of our guys who went, came from Venezuela, did an OSHA tr- class training. Now he's helping out this professor for the OSHA, being part of working with that. And, you know, he's getting his life together in a very good way. And I think we'll be very strong
1: in terms of, of getting getting along there is there any hesitation that you see in wanting to be a part of the system because i imagine you know there's got to be this fear that's like oh if i am known to the authorities sure then you know i'm also at risk for you know if the political winds change and all of a sudden i don't have access do you encounter any like hesitancy or absolutely and i
2: think in general when you're starting to ask for personal information of them you know, that's a very tricky thing. You know, I think it's helpful from our position as Catholic charities. Uh, most of our places where they encounter, we have a downtown office, but my queen's is is in a basement of a church. Uh, we operate out of a lot of basements and churches. And they feel more comfortable there. You know, it it feels like a place that they can can it really makes a difference for them, you know and, and I don't I don't think our job is to try to uh, be another uh, HRA office. If that's we might as well shut up our business if that's what we're about, just pushing paper. I don't mean they just push papers, but I'm just saying that if it's a very office kind of cold feel to it, then we're not really being true to who we are. And what we're trying we to do. We being Catholic charities, right? Catholic yeah. charities, yes. That uh, that there is a significant difference in, in what we're trying to do. Uh, and it has a lot to do with how we engage with people and how we walk with people that accompany that wonderful Jesuit term, accompany people, you know.
0: Uh, our mayor, Eric Adams, made headlines uh, a couple of weeks ago saying that this migrant crisis was going to destroy New York City. Yeah. When I talk to you, you don't seem particularly worried about uh, uh, the city's imminent destruction. Um, so what no. keeps you um, from getting I, I, well, overwhelmed? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I, I think there there are certain points where we all get, I mean, when things get thrown into and uh, and we can all get frustrated and say things. That if you were to walk it back and say, "Did I really say that?" Uh, in my mind, he's he's doing a lot. Uh, I, I've seen different places where see, he's pushed to do things, and you know, we have to do what we do, you know. But he's in a political place, and he's also in a place where you know you get get that right right into the face. I th- I do have hope, and and I think it's it's based on the fact that. I do think there's enough people who come out there and do support enough. I see them. Um, when um, your, your staff person came out and, and interviewed at, at our place, you know, I have a great team of people. Some of them are volunteers, you know, just happen to be a, a retired lawyer or this or that. But they're there. You know, wanting to join in with that. And there's a spirit. And and if all we were were pessimistic and, you know, this is all going hell in a handbasket,
1: um, that's not really the best way to go. A lot of times, like, it can feel like trying to navigate different social services can feel like a very cold, paper-pushy yeah. process, right? Right. Um, it, it, as you mentioned, it seems like accompanying people is exactly it, it works two ways right it, it, it's yeah. certainly more helpful for the person receiving the services but it seems like it is it, it keeps your hope alive as well oh i i admire
2: you know i i do you know uh when i think i was uh, just thinking about this for for myself you know both sets of my parents uh, my grandparents on both sides of the families came from someplace else took the risk left what they knew to come to a new place and to start something. I mean, I think that's a strength. Someone who has that kind of character, that's a strength for this nation. And that I would hope that people can see. You know, when you when you take a look at, instead of saying, oh, my God, what a terrible mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's messy. It's, it's very messy. I don't deny that. But take a look at the character of some of the people that you see, um, you'll see some very strong people and, uh, uh, who are needs and including, you know, uh, mental health needs are, are very high for, for a lot of them, Uh, particularly the children, you know, there's a lot of trauma that was involved with that, you know, and they're going to need help. They'll need help. But I, I think when I see, uh, people coming around, make a meal together and talk, now, in, in my social work modalities, you, you could talk in a lot of different ways about this, but the reality for a lot of these people to, to be able to come together, make a meal, share a meal, and talk, that's the best modality we're going to do to, to help them feel like a human being again when they've been through what they've been through. You know, uh, yes, to sit down one on one with a counselor. I understand that. And and that's important. And particularly there there are moments when that gets really difficult for people. And that's a journey too, right? But I think uh, a communal sense that I'm in this with somebody else um, is very powerful, you know.
0: You mentioned having volunteers um, at, at your office. I m- imagine there are people who listen to this podcast who might be wondering what they can do in their own cities because Catholic charities is yeah. all over the country. What, what right. Where would you point them?
2: I, I I think you could look. Certainly, Catholic charities. You know, if you go for us, we're we, we're CCBQ, Catholic Charities Brooklyn Queens, CCBQ org, and you can click on volunteer. You know, sometimes. Volunteers, it is about sharing your time and treasure and talents, and, and that, that's all true, you know. Uh, some of our programs, I've seen amazing volunteers do things in our senior centers, you know. We should never discount just sitting and spending time with people, you know. I think that's a, a value in and of itself. I don't need to have, uh, you know, incredible talents to share, Uh that's Although good. I have it's good. very few of them, so <laughs> it's, it gives me hope. Yeah, you know it is. I, I think I think when when you when you can just kind of allow and I, I on my part, you know, sometimes like sitting here with you guys here today, I had a hundred things I had to do before I got here, and I have more things. But to be able to stop, and, and I love the, the 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 local language of you know living in the present. I think that's very important, you know, that we find ways of doing that. And I, and I think that that's what we do when we're best with, with people is we let them know, I, I'm listening to you. I'm hearing what you say. And, uh, you know, if they cry, they cry. And then to say, well, what can we do? How can we? How can we move forward? And, and that can help someone, you know. I think that's that's important. I don't know how I got off on that. No, anyway, no. I did.
1: One, it's I, good thing this is a podcast. That's... I can just <laughs> blather on as much as you want. Uh, uh, why is it important that the church does this kind of work? Oh gosh, you I know. mean, could, could someone could say, you know, there are city services. We should just let them do it, and the church. I don't know. Go goes and. Plays bingo in the basement hall or something. I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know,
1: it's interesting. It's true. A lot of people can do it,
2: but I do think it's important for the church to recognize that that is part of our tradition. You know, it that that whole part of gathering community of walking with people, uh, just rooted in the sense of what we're called to do. Uh, It's part of us. could other people be doing it? absolutely? But does that excuse us to say, "Well, we shouldn't"? No, I, I, I really do think we kind of have to challenge ourselves a little in that area, because to have a beautiful liturgy, uh, you know, with with great music, uh, I, I'm a music uh, director on the weekends, by the way. So anyway, <laughs> you know, so you know, I, you can go that whole direction, and say, "Isn't that?" you know, what it's all about. Well, it's part of it, but a lot of it is what we do with the rest of it. And and part of that is how we bring, and to me, it's it's most satisfying, not just me as an individual, but when we're engaged as a community, involved in helping people feel part of this, you know, as a brother and sister, uh, you know, that we're all connected. Uh, I think that that's so important. We have 60 food pantries through Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, so we have a lot of people working in different and that's not me in 60 places. no those are local parishes that they so, so we support them financially. And, but we also had a gathering and I can tell you what a joy that was to see people share their experiences because we call them you know what have been some of you you know what have been some good experience that you had? And how many of them, I'm talking about your food pantry people, who said, you know, no one ever asks us that. Hmm. You know, it's like uh, everyone else gets a play. But, you know, it's like we say, oh, yeah, there's a food pantry uh, Mm. somewhere over there on the side. Yeah. (laughs) To me, this is very much at the heart of of what the community should be about, you know. Uh, Some see it, yes. You give your donation. You make it happen. That's all very important. But – you know these people who take their time to really help other people out usually there's a good there's a there's something very positive from a faith perspective in that that they're, that they're
1: bringing into it. It's exactly mm-hmm. why I asked you the question. Oh, <laughs> oh good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we want to thank you for taking your time to come here because we oh, we do know you. you have a lot on your plate. Um, but before we let you go, we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests, and that's if you could canonize one person, uh, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, canonize. who would it be and why?
2: You know, I'm thinking of a person Uh, Let me just, from a personal point of view, she inspired me to do what I do. She was one of those parish little ladies who was always reaching out. I would say she's a saint beyond, because as an awkward teenager, she didn't care. But she always went and was looking for things in the person, and sometimes she would embarrass me because you know, she would bring me uh, like books or poetry. She was actually quite well read, but but she always ran like the food pantry. She always did things for people, but she read people and she read me. You know, I thought, who am I? You know, she did, and someone like that, I love to see people who, not famous names, but people who are in their community. And they're looking around. And so Sophie is her name. I'll,
1: I'll give Saint you a Sophie. name. Sophie. Saint Sophie. Patron of the little church ladies. Uh, the little <laughs> church ladies.
2: I, I think they're wonderful. Amen. Yeah.
1: Well, Richard, okay. I'm so proud of the work that Catholic Charities does. Not that this matters or it's why you do it or, or anything, but uh, it makes me proud to be a Catholic. Um, and I think uh, I wish more people knew about the work that you're doing. So... Uh, Thank you so much for all the work you do and all the work that everyone at Catholic Charities is doing. And thank you for spending your time with us today. And thank you because you gave me this opportunity
2: to say a little bit and and uh, let people know a little bit more. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Richard. Thank you. It's quiet. Oh, so.
1: It's time for Parish Announcements, the part of our show where we ask you to please be seated before the final blessing. Uh, So first off, we want to thank our new Patreon supporters. Uh, Thank you so much to Fran and to James Krogan. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the show. They were entered into a drawing for a signed book from Father James Martin. You may have heard our first episode uh, talking about his new book, Come Forth, about the raising of Lazarus. So if we originally said that today... Wednesday, September 20th was the deadline to be entered into this raffle. We're going to extend that uh, just a little bit longer. So if you're listening to this on Friday, you've got until Monday the 25th. So you've got a long weekend. So sign up over that weekend. And we're going to do that drawing uh, Monday morning. So if you'd like to be entered into that drawing, if you'd like to support Jesuitical, please visit patreon.com slash americamedia.
0: And as you probably know, the Synod on Synodality is quickly approaching. Or maybe you don't know, so now you do. (laughs) And if you know nothing about the Synod and want to find out more about it, we have very good news for you. We are going to interview America's own Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell, just do a basic Q&A about this gathering of Catholics at the Vatican in October. Um, Jerry is has gone to I think every synod since 1980 so he really knows his stuff
1: and he says this one's going to be unlike any other it's he, he is really high on the fact that this is going to be a really big deal so um, someone who really knows their stuff we learn a lot every time we talk to him we would like to extend that opportunity to you so if you'd like to put some questions to Jerry O'Connell yourself please just send us an email jesuitical at americamedia.org you can dm us on twitter you can also uh, post on our patreon page you can message us there we're going to be collecting questions for the next couple of weeks. And then once the Synod gets going, we're looking to uh, publish something like this. So stay tuned. We've got some other really exciting announcements about um, our coverage for the Synod. So stay tuned.
0: And now we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. What do you have, Zach?
1: So I am still thinking about this past Sunday's gospel, which is Jesus explaining that we have to forgive seven times 70 or 77 times 70. Uh, The point of the, I can't do math, but I I was told by Eric, it's supposed to just mean infinity, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you don't get to like stop forgiving after a certain number. And, you know, the reason I was struck by it is because I think as I've gotten older, I try to intellectualize or theologize a lot of things about Catholic moral life or spirituality. And I tend to think that things are only worth my consideration or my prayer if it's something like that needs worked out or if it's a complicated issue. And at the end of the day, there are some just like really basic (laughs) teachings in Christianity, like you just have to forgive people. And they're really, it's really pretty simple. Like people might say, Jesus, what about, and it's, no, you just have to forgive people. And I think that we all, certainly myself, could do would do well to spend some time with some of these just like simple things like that.
0: They do tend to be the hardest too. Love totally. your enemies.
1: <laughs> yeah, love your enemies, forgive people. I mean, it's like stuff that like sounds rote and like you've heard it a million times, yeah. but it doesn't really get any easier with each generation, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and I I guess I think forgiveness is a little more complicated just because there, you know, there are situations where um where, you know, maybe abuse is happening and there is an ongoing threat of harm and telling someone, telling a wife that's being abused by her husband, oh well, you have to forgive him and making her feel like she can't escape that situation and be a good Christian um, is is dangerous and I think has been done in the past. So just wanted to like throw that little wrench in it. Oh, Um, for sure. And
1: I don't think that's, I mean, I'm certainly not talking about situations like that. Um, And, you know, forgiveness itself, I think is a, a pretty complicated like how forgiveness be- comes about is often a very complicated mechanism and involves lots of interpersonal dynamics and you know psychology and such but
0: like that so, we need to forgive. Sorry you're saying that just makes me think like it's does the forgiveness have to be deeply felt to be to live up to Jesus's standard like if you just communicate it to the other person so that they, like you've said you forgive them but you're
1: like carrying around but this like, grudge. Like I don't
0: know, can you actually control <laughs> whether you deeply feel forgiveness for someone who's hurt you? Yeah, I I, it, <laughs> I think
1: it's probably oftentimes like works in progress, yeah. like many many things, but that we need to forgive is is not really in question, yeah. right? Like the mechanism by how it how it happens, I think mm-hmm. is very complicated. And uh but that we need to forgive pretty simple. And so I have been challenged by that this week. You know, I'm even thinking about someone that I'm like kind of annoyed by right now that I'm like, I don't I don't really want to go see them right now. And I'm Jesus is there in my head being like, You don't get to just like abscond yourself from this person that's getting on your nerves. You have to continue to be in relationship with them and forgive them. So uh Maybe that is a useful message to you listening this week. Uh, maybe there's a different simple message. Uh, but I'd ask you to think about what are some of the like simple teachings of Jesus that really we would do well to spend more time with.
0: All right. I'll get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Michael O'Brien, Delaney Coyne, and Kevin Christopher Robles, who is also our sound engineer. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com groups slash Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.